What do you do when hard work isn't enough? Because you're working hard, the clock is ticking, and you know you could be achieving so much more out of life. Like, I'm not a, a mind reader, but the fact that you're listening to this right now, I probably know enough about you to assume this is true. The problem is not your work ethic, not your intelligence, not even a financial issue. It's a lack of proper guidance. And if you could just obtain it, everything else would just fall into place. This is exactly why you're listening to podcasts like this. And I want to say, please keep it up. Please keep it up with more and more proper guidance, systematic, structured guidance. You can achieve your property goals. So thank you for being here and keep it up. The two questions that we'll be answering in this week's episode are, number one, how to buy investment property with little deposit. You know, what is lender's mortgage insurance and how do you use it? What is it? Should you get it? And the second question is, should you rent or should you buy a house? What is rent vesting? Okay, so... You know, some people think that buying your own home first and then getting into property investing is the right way to go about things, but is it really? These are the two topics that we'll be talking about today. Keep tuned in. I hope you get a ton of value. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name's PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence, and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Okay, so how to buy investment property with little or even no money. Okay, let's talk about lenders mortgage insurance. This, you know, next five minutes busts the myth that it costs a bomb to get into property with less than 20% deposit. Let's go. Yesterday night, I was at a meditation um, session and... One of my friends there, we ended up talking about property and we ended up talking about how people can get into property with less than a 20% deposit. And look, she was saying, as do many others, that, you know, I've heard that you can get into investment property with less than 20% deposit, but you have to pay something called lender's mortgage insurance. And, you know, isn't that just unnecessary cost? Isn't it better that I wait another year or two years or three years until I can save up the 20% deposit and then get into property so I can avoid this cost of lender's mortgage insurance? Um, she'd called up CBA and they said that it's going to cost her $6,000 to get in um, with less than a 20% deposit by paying this lender's mortgage insurance. Okay, so I just want to talk about that because I feel that lenders' mortgage insurance um, is like an un, uh, not well, well understood cost. 
you know, there's a, I think the property couch guys say that it's a cost that shouldn't be avoided at all costs. It's a cost that shouldn't be avoided at all costs. Okay, in other words, you, you may actually want to pay that cost because it's beneficial. So how's it beneficial? Mostly in three ways. A is that, yes, if you get into a property, if you pay less than 20% deposit, you will have to pay lender's mortgage insurance. But first of all, it's not that much money. So I think some people think it's tens of thousands of dollars. In most cases, for affordable property under $500,000, it's generally between three and $6,000, okay? So A, it's not actually that much money in the scheme of things. Um, B, it's still something, you know, it's not free. So how do we understand it? B is if it allows us to get into property investment faster, then that's a good thing. Yes, we've had to fork out three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, but if we've been able to invest in property a year or two years or three years before we would have been able to otherwise, then just think about even if a property worth $300,000 was to grow at 1%, that itself has you know made that money back. 1% is a pretty ordinary growth rate, by the way. More, more likely, you're going to be buying a property three to five hundred thousand. That's going to be growing, um, you know, if you're actually following a decent system, not just following infrastructure trends and population growth and all the media. If you're actually doing your homework and and doing the research properly, not just going on realestate.com, you should be getting around four to six percent. Okay, so that in of itself, in the first year, the growth of the property, and I've not even mentioned the positive cash flow you know, that's outstripping the cost of lender's mortgage insurance. So, that, so that's one thing, right? A, it's not that much money. B, you know, that return on investment is more than 100% in the, in the first year. C, it may allow you to get into a better asset, okay? So let's say you can only afford $250,000 for your first investment property because you have 20% deposit for that. If you're able to avail lenders mortgage insurance and pay only a you know less than 20% deposit then you might be able to get into an asset worth $350,000 or something around that and that asset type depending on the suburb of course may or is likely going to be a much better performer than the $250,000 asset okay so that's the that's the other thing that by paying lenders mortgage insurance you'll be able to get into a better asset potentially that'll give you the better income that in turn will also give you the better um, uh, growth okay so that's C I think we're up to C um, D is that lenders mortgage insurance even though yes it is a cost it's actually deductible okay so let's say you it costs you five thousand dollars which is a little bit on the high side but let's ro roll with that yes it has cost you but a good accountant will be able to deduct that entire 5,000 over five years. So let's say you're on the highest tax bracket, just to make numbers easy. Let's say 45, 48%. Okay, so $5,000 you've paid in lender's mortgage insurance. What they will do, the tax um, accountant will do, is he or she will split that 5,000 over five years, so 1,000 each year. And if you're in the highest tax bracket, let's say 48% tax, just make it 50 for round numbers, you get half of that back every year. So every year you're, you're getting $500 of that back. 
If you're in the 30% tax bracket, then you're getting um, you know, 300 of that back. So over five years, even 300 times five, you know, you're making, you're getting a lot of that $5,000 back anyway. So, you know, think about it in that context. But those are the, the various reasons, you know, why it's actually a good idea to avail lenders mortgage insurance. A, it's not that much money. B, you can get into the property market faster and the growth and income from your property will far outstrip the cost of lenders mortgage insurance. C, you might be able to get into a better asset class, you know, a little bit more expensive property by paying less than 20% deposit. Your affordability will be better. And D, you get all that in, in back in tax anyway. Um, so it's, it's, you know, in a general sense, I can say it's a good idea. Of course, this isn't personal advice and there's always exceptions. But in a general sense, um, don't be afraid of putting less than 20% deposit and paying the lender's mortgage insurance. And by the way, E, are we up to E? I just thought of something. E is you actually don't have to pay it out of your pocket. It just gets capitalized onto your loan amount. So if your loan is $250,000 or let's say $300,000, the lender's mortgage insurance is $5,000, your loan just becomes $5,000 more. Okay, so it's not like you're having to dip into your pocket immediately and pay it. So if you're on an interest-only loan, which most investors are, the additional interest costs on a yearly basis is like in the hundreds of dollars. And all of a sudden, you know, you're getting that back in tax anyway, you're getting into a better asset class, you're able to invest tomorrow as opposed to July 2022. Like there's so many benefits, A, B, C, D and E. Um, so I'm, I think I'm doing a pretty good job of selling it. There's always exceptions though, so um, you do need um, some solid advice around this, but hopefully that clears up a lot of thoughts as well. All right, next question, should you rent? Or buy a house what is rent vesting let's talk about these tactics that will make you passive income right now let's go there are so many reasons why it's better to get into the investment property game first and then buy your own principal place of residence from a financial perspective but I just want to start off with an emotive perspective so it's not always that finances should trump, you know, or should dictate what you should do. Sometimes it's just nice to have a, a home that you can call home, that you can't get kicked out of, um, and you can, you know, furnish it the way you like. Um, you can put um, paintings on the walls, all that sort of thing. So all those nice, warm and fuzzy feelings are very important. I'm sort of disregarding them for the purpose of this conversation. Um, so the first reason that it makes sense to um, get into the investment property game and then buy your principal place of residence is that if you do go ahead and buy your principal place of residence then basically what you have is non-deductible debt that just means that your debt is not for investment purposes so it's not deductible that inhibits your your household cash flows because Every dollar that you're paying in interest, every dollar that you're paying in principal, it's not offsetting any income that you're, that you're generating. So this is what 99.9% .9 of people do across Australia, and it takes them 30 or, or 35 years to pay off their, their home loan. Um, in general, that's not a good way to sort of get ahead, financially speaking. Now, 
If you don't have non-deductible debt, or in other words, when you have um, investment property debt, which is deductible, you're paying less. It's actually improving your cash flows uh, versus a PPOR because it's deductible. It, you know, every interest um, dollar that you're paying, it's um, potentially reducing the um, the income that you earn, or at least in the taxman's eyes, it's reducing your taxable income, right? So let's go let's go through a scenario where. Let's say you have already bought a place of your own. Let's say you're in Melbourne or Sydney and the place cost $700,000, $800,000. You probably have a $600,000, $650,000, debt on it and it's non-deductible. All of a sudden, you're hurting your household cash flow, so it's having a big impact on your life, um, like your lifestyle, your ability to go on holidays, watch movies, entertainment, all that sort of thing. But also... You know, not just from a strict cash flow perspective, it's also reducing your ability to get more debt in the bank size, right? So it's in inhibiting significantly your ability to actually purchase investment properties, right? Like if you're on an average income of, you know, let's say eighty to one hundred, one hundred twenty thousand dollars, maybe a household income of one hundred, one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty thousand dollars, you're not going to be able to get that much more debt. Um, once you've already got non-deductible debt in your principal place of residence. So what that means is that you've basically stifled or truncated your ability to start an investment property portfolio from the get-go, just because you bought a PPOR, your principal place of residence. So you might still be able to get one or two investment properties, and that's great, but really that's where it'll stop, because you have all of this debt, which is... Um, stifling your borrowing power and it's hurting your real household cash flows, your household budget. Now if you think about it the other way around where someone who hasn't actually bought any houses yet, they might be thinking, okay, should I buy um, a PPOR first or should I buy an investment property? And if they go ahead and buy investment properties on interest only, that is not going to be impacting their household budget one bit. In fact, um, it's very possible to buy high growth investment properties that are also high cash flow. In other words, instead of costing you money like the PPOR debt, they're actually giving you income every single month, every single year. We're not talking tens of thousands of dollars from day one, obviously, um, but thousands of dollars. So that's actually adding to your um, ability to, to live a lifestyle, to go on holidays, to watch movies, all that sort of good stuff. But more importantly, by having deductible debt, you know, de debt in houses that are investment properties, the bank isn't penalizing you that much, right? It's not penalizing you as if you had non-deductible debt in your own home. So you're able to buy many, many, many more investment properties and really acquire accrue a portfolio and then let's just go through some high-level math and obviously these are generic numbers but let's say over the course of six or seven years you are able to buy let's say four to five properties obviously not everyone can do this many people can as well um, I don't know everyone's situation but that's pretty you know it can be pretty typical um, for sophisticated educated investors to achieve you know, so you've acquired that portfolio and you've held it for 10 or 15 years. That portfolio, I'm not going to say has doubled, but it will have generated 
hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity, okay? Probably, in fact, most likely over that time period, at least half a million, a million, in my case, much more than that, in, in so many people's cases, much more than that, not just myself. Um, you know, easily one, two million dollars over that time horizon of equity. And so what you can then do is then compare your situation in that scenario versus had you gone ahead and bought your own home to live in. In 10 or 15 years time, you would not have achieved that equity in your own home, right? Because you only, you only had one asset. But through the power of leverage in investment properties, you can buy multiple properties and in 10 and 15 years time achieve that type of equity. So which is better? You know, it's a case of delayed sense gratification. Um, if you want to hang the, the, the pictures or the paintings of yourself in your, in your family, in your own home, and never have a landlord ever rip it down, and you want that sort of warm and fuzzy type, you know, aspect to a home, then maybe investing in, in, in properties isn't for you. But investing in properties will get you much more progressed in your wealth, in your family's wealth, in 5, 10, 15 years time, if you just sacrifice some of those things initially. Okay, and also, you know, the case is that if you buy your own principal place of residence, your own home to live in, um, you're unlikely to be buying in a high growth area. And the reason is that the areas that you probably want to live in are very unlikely to also be high growth areas. Like right now, if I scan across Australia, and my clients know this as well as I do, it's pretty slim pickings in terms of the areas that are actually going to grow. You know, it's not a case that you just buy anywhere in Brisbane and just because it's affordable that it'll go up in value, that just because Melbourne did really well um, in recent history that it'll continue to do so, that Geelong did well in recent history that it'll continue to do so. It's not the case. You know, there's only probably less than seven suburbs, and I'm not just making this up, I'm not exaggerating, there are less than seven suburbs that I would personally put my money in across Australia at the moment. That doesn't mean that they're, they're not going to, that it's bad to invest. All I'm saying is you have to be very selective. Anyway, back to the point. If you buy your own principal place of residence, it's very unlikely that it'll actually grow to the extent that an investment property bought in the right location will. Okay, so it's a... You know, there's so many factors to, to consider when thinking about, should I buy my own home now or should I start an investment property portfolio? But, you know, the principle is you will be much better off financially, um, leaving aside the warm and fuzzy stuff, you will be much better off financially if you do go ahead and practice that principle of delayed gratification. Buy your investment property, your first one, second one, third one, fourth one, etc. Build that equity up whilst not sacrificing your lifestyle. And then in 8, 10, 12, 15 years, you can buy your dream home or and you can actually generate that passive income that I know, you know, that's the reason I got into it and so many people get into it. So, look, I don't mean to, to make it out like it's easy to achieve. It's not. Um, it takes a lot of commitment, takes a lot of hard work. Asset selection is paramount. You need to know what you're doing. You can't outsource the responsibility um, to anyone because no one cares about your money as much as you do. Um, but I've been getting this question, should I buy my own home first or should I start the investment property journey first? Um, so hopefully that, 
that adds some color and some con context and content around answering that specific question just came to mind as well that generally speaking it's cheaper to rent in a place you actually want to live in than it is to own and pay a mortgage so I know so many of my friends they live in Manly in um in Sydney and you know they just wouldn't even be able to afford um, to, to live in Manly if they bought a, a house there, right? But they love Manly and they can afford to rent. That allows them to become rent vesters, which is that strategy that I said. You rent, you don't buy your own home first, you rent and you use um, your borrowing capacity, you know, from your household income. You use your cash flows to get into the investment property game. So you're living in a terrific area, you're close to all amenity, all your friends, it's a great lifestyle, but you're also getting your money and your income work hard, working hard for you, right? You're getting that investment property, the first one, the second one, third one. They're each paying you as well, they're not a financial drag on you, but with the right asset selection, they're um, also going to be increasing in value. So this is possible. None of this is um, spruiking or anything like that. This is what I've done, you know, counting my lucky stars that it, that it worked. Um, so many of my clients have done. So many people who haven't worked with me have done. You know, it's not some secret sauce, but you do need to know how to do it. I hope that brought you a ton of value, guys. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel as well, Australian Property Mastery with PK, and also the Facebook group with more than 25,000 community members. Links are below in the description. Let's continue the chat there. Catch you later. Bye.